Welcome to the podcast of Tower Hill Church, a church for all generations. This is Pastor Jason. I hope that you had a great weekend. I hope that you enjoyed Mother's Day for listening to this in real time. hope that you had a good celebration and a time to honor all the moms in your life. And I hope that you have felt God's movement in your life this last week. I know that things can get crazy and life can get really busy, especially this time of year for young families where you have It seems like endless sports practices and games and traveling and running around and just general busyness of life, the end of the school year. Whatever it is, whatever season you're going through personally, I pray that you're able to take just a little bit of time, just a little time to carve out. It's amazing how little it takes to really feel connected with God. It really is amazing. I find that just an extra five minutes, 10 minutes here and there which I totally have in my life, um, no matter how busy I, busy that I get, when I'm able to do that, it just completely transforms my day and I think transforms my life. And you know that. That's why you're listening to podcasts. And I pray that today's uh, message will help you to do that, to connect with God as we are in the second episode of our sermon series on the book of Acts called until the whole world hears. Enjoy it, and I pray that you guys have a great week. And last week we said, maybe God is preparing your heart for the miracle. Maybe this season of waiting is is a time of preparation that God wants to use to make sure that you are at the right place at the right time to receive the miracle. What's the miracle? God showing up in your life. I contend there is nothing more miraculous than that. God showing up. But maybe he wants to prepare your heart so that you're ready to receive it. It's about being where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. I think about it, it's like being in position. As I was thinking about this idea this week, I thought about being in position as it relates to whenever I've been a kid's soccer coach. You ever coach... Little kids, like little kids. Or, or maybe you're a parent or a grandparent. You've been to watch a little kid's soccer game, like a preschool or kindergarten age soccer game. What do we learn about positions? They do not exist, right? <laughs> they do not exist. The kids are just chasing the ball around. And as a coach, it like drives you crazy because you love the kids. You want to see them scoring. Like you just... Tommy, if you just stand right there, just don't move. You don't have to just move. The ball, I trust me, the ball's going to come to you, and then you'll kick it in the goal. If you have low blood pressure, coach kids soccer. It will help so much. But the, the idea is like, come on, I just want you to be in position so that when the ball comes, you can score. That's all I want for you. Please, listen, please. You don't have to know anything else. Just be in position. And I I started to wonder, is that just a little glimpse as to what God feels about me? If you would just be in position. I want you to score so badly. I want you to experience the joy of this life, the joy of this game. But you keep walking out of position. What are you doing? What are you doing? you got to be in position. And so really it's about... The disciples were in position to what's about to happen today. The disciples, because they were faithfully waiting, they were in position to receive the miracle. 
And we're going to take a look at that. In Acts chapter 2, this is the story of Pentecost. Very famous story of when uh, the Holy Spirit, God changed everything with the disciples and ultimately the world. This is where it all got going. This is where they were launched into the whole world to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And if we look at the very first verse of Acts 2 verse 1. It says this, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Where were they? They were all together in one place. In in other words, they were exactly where Jesus told them to be. Now we talked a little about this last week. that, That doesn't require like miraculous amounts of faith. It's simply like stay in Jerusalem. Okay. But they could have not. They could have just decided, nah, you know what? Let's go to Emmaus, man. They got it going on down there. I'm kind of sick of this whole Jerusalem scene, right? I mean, who knows? You know, they could have, any, any other place they could have decided to go. But they stayed. They didn't know how long they were really supposed to stay. He said in a couple of days, right? But they didn't really know. They were just in this waiting game. But they were in the right place at the right time. They were in position. So that the ball came to them. And they were ready to move it forward. They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now let's not rush by that little nugget too quickly. They were all filled by the Holy Spirit. This was the first time anything like this happened when it came to the Holy Spirit. And I want you to just consider how crazy it probably seemed. What an incredibly crazy, wild idea this was that the Holy Spirit would do a mass filling of people. Because all through the Old Testament, whenever somebody was filled with the, old, filled with the Holy Spirit... That was very, very rare. Select individuals were filled with the Holy Spirit, like a prophet, filled with the Holy Spirit to do something in particular, and then it was kind of over. It was not like this. This was something completely different. Remember, it's not just the 12 disciples anymore, but all the 120 that were gathered there. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Something had changed. Something was different about this filling of the Holy Spirit. It it all of a sudden, it applied to everybody who was following Jesus. And that was huge. The thing is this. Being in position is step one. Being in position is step one. But when the ball comes to you, you got to be ready to receive it. You could be in position... And the ball can just go right past, right? You got to move the ball toward the goal. In other words, you're in position for a reason. This is the same with the Holy Spirit. As you'll see, you are filled with the Holy Spirit for a reason. To do something. To move the ball toward the goal. To move it forward. Not just in position. Just to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be like, yeah, 
filled with the Holy Spirit, man. High five. Let's go to brunch. But filled for a purpose, to do something with the ball, to move it toward the goal. All right, verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So you see? So they're filled, they're in position, they receive the Holy Spirit, and then they start to do something. That's always the next part. God wants them to do something. Speaking in other tongues. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. They had to know what to do with the ball when it came to them. They were in position, and then they had to know what to do with the ball. And you see, they've had practice. God's been training them for this moment. Remember last week when I said the writer of the book of Acts also wrote the gospel of Luke. There was a moment in the gospel of Luke that was a training for this moment of Pentecost. That was the feeding of the 5,000. If you don't recall, the feeding of the 5,000, so... Uh, all these people are out there to listen to Jesus preach and speak. And the disciples come up to Jesus and they say, all the people are getting hungry. Code for, we're getting hungry. (laughs) Send them away. Send them away so they could go get something to eat. And Jesus turns to them and says, you give them something to eat. What? What What are you talking about? We're just telling you, like, we don't, we don't have anything. They need to eat. You give them something to eat. And like, I don't, what are we going to do? Oh, that kid's got a lunch. Kid. You're like, I want that poor kid. He brings his lunch with his <laughs> He's ready to go. Kid, Jesus needs your food. But then what happens is the food comes to Jesus. The disciples, they're not really doing anything. Comes to Jesus. Jesus does this miracle of multiplication multiplies this and hands it back to those disciples and I, and I wonder if he repeats, you give them something to eat. They've had training. They know what to do with the ball because they've been there before. And that is this, when they receive the miracle, they don't hang on to it and gorge on it. They turn around and they serve it to others. And this is exactly what happens on the day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit comes. They start speaking in different tongues. What do they do? They shout it out. They speak it to others. They knew what to do with the ball because that's what Jesus trained them to do. And that's just the thing. We don't create the miracle. But we are called to pass it to others. You're in position for a reason. So you can do something with the ball. So you can move it toward the goal. The goal of the kingdom of God. All right, let's go to verse 12. Oh, this is great. Because this shows Peter 
Peter's about to stand up and say something. Oh, no, wait, not yet, not yet. I'm, I'm getting ahead of my, getting ahead of myself. Verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. I love that. I love that. It always makes me chuckle. They've had too much wine. It just feels so real, like that's something people would say. And here's the thing. This is the part that you can't control. When, when the ball comes to you, when you're in position and the Holy Spirit comes to you and you need to go bring it toward the goal, there are some people who simply don't like soccer. In other words, there are some people who are just not going to be having whatever you're doing. And they're going to be skeptical and they're going to be cynical and there's nothing you could do about it. But there's a really great philosopher who once said, haters going to hate, hate, hate. Just have to shake it off. Shake it off. (laughs) There's nothing you can do about that. Some people aren't going to be in for the game. And they're going to be skeptical and they're going to They're not going to believe you. They're not going to understand what it is that you're doing, why you're in position, why you care about these things. But you can't let that stop you from moving the ball forward. And you move the ball toward the goal through the skills that you have learned. This is how the disciples were able to move the ball. They had learned these skills while training with Jesus. All this part of the gospel is that we see between the disciples and Jesus, that was all their training ground for the real work that is starting now. You move the ball through the skills you learn. And now here was the part I was getting to is, watch what Peter does. Watch Peter's highly developed skills. Because what was Peter known for? Peter was known for standing up and saying just the wrong thing. He'd be the first one to talk. And everyone would go, ooh. (laughs) Right? And sometimes he'd say the right thing, only to be followed up with the wrong thing. That was Peter. That was his MO. But watch what he does here. We see this same impulse. But watch how it comes out. He gets up and he speaks to all these people on the day of Pentecost. Verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Watch what he's doing here. This is what Peter's doing. Remember who's gathered. All the God-fearing Jews. All the God-fearing Jews. What was he doing? He stood up and he was immediately trying to connect the dots for them. He goes back to the prophet Joel. No, no, no. This seems crazy to you. What you see these people doing. But, But just remember, this is what Joel said all those years ago. In these last days, these things are going to happen. You see, this is happening. This is happening. He continues, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, 
as you yourselves know. Well, let's stop right there. In other words, the fact that Jesus did miracles and signs is not up for debate. The crowd agreed. Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, we know about him. Yes, he did those things. So he continues. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan. It wasn't an accident. Jesus isn't some kind of cosmic victim. But this was God's deliberate plan all along. And foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Then he quotes a Psalm of David. And then he continues, Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Quotes another psalm. Right? He's reminding them this is all part of God's plan from the beginning that's now coming to fruition. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. This does not sound like the guy that kept getting it wrong. This sounds like somebody who has been trained to know what to do with the ball. He has been trained by being with Jesus, spending time with Jesus, learning, and using his natural gift of his willingness to stand up and be bold. He was the one that stood up and said, no, 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 this is how it is. And he lays it out for the people absolutely perfectly. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This must have been so nuts to hear. Repent and be baptized. Oh yeah, and it's your turn. You're getting the Holy Spirit too. I thought that was just reserved for people like Elijah and Moses and what? You will receive the Holy Spirit too. Now watch this. Verse 39. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. You see, this is the miracle. This is the miracle. That the Holy Spirit will fill even us because of what Jesus did. The Holy Spirit will pour out on all of us. But remember, it's for a purpose. 
The Holy Spirit fills all of us so that we can do something with it. What does he want us to do? He wants us to win the game. He wants us to score a goal. Well, how do you do that? Well, first you've got to be in position. Then you've got to be ready to receive the ball. Then you've got to get ready to do something with the ball. And this is all built on your skills that you learn as you continue to serve in Jesus' name. So here's what I'd like to invite you to do. I have four questions that I want to encourage you to prayerfully think about this week. And I don't know, maybe you want to screenshot them. You can write them down. We have uh, in your bulletin, we have in the insert, there's a space to write things down. If you're chalking this up like, this is quasi-interesting, maybe I'll come back to it. You can always listen to it later online. Or if you're just like, mom made me come, I don't know what to do. I, maybe, maybe you'll find one question that's sort of interesting. But I feel like this all pertains to what it is to be in position and to do something when the Holy Spirit fills us. The first question is, are you in the game? Are you in the game? I think there are two ways that you might not be. Two ways that people cannot be in the game. The first is, maybe you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you kind of want to play, but you haven't joined the team. You're hedging your bets with Jesus. Maybe there's something else that you'd rather be doing. I just want to say this to you. If anybody in this room, if you have not put your faith in Jesus, I just want to say welcome. I'm really glad you're here. And I think you're in the right place. Because this is a place for asking questions, for learning, for growing. We don't all have it figured out. Even those of us who do believe in Jesus don't have it figured out. We're working on it. Work on it with us. But I think for a lot of us who maybe have been following Jesus for a while, we just take ourselves out of the game. Okay, God, you know what? My life is really crazy right now. So I'm just going to take a breather. You can just sub me out. I'm just going to hang over here on the sidelines, and then I'll come in. Like my, I just do not have the bandwidth right now, Lord. Things are too crazy. So, uh, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stay on the team. I love the new shirts we got this year. It's awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chill here eating orange slices, and then when I'm ready, I'll go in. We do this all the time. We sideline ourselves. So it's just now is not a good time for me. You know what happens? Is that we've discovered it, there's, it's never a good time. It's never a good time. It's never convenient. And what happens is we end up missing out on the joy that the Lord wants to give us. You see, that's why he wants us to play, for the joy to accomplish his kingdom of God purposes. To know the thrill of moving that ball up toward the goal. To know the thrill of life that we often miss because we've sidelined ourselves. Next question. Are you in position? Maybe you are in the game. But maybe you have no idea where you're supposed to stand. This is where I think a lot of us get stuck. Where am I supposed to be? Am I in position? 
how do you know that what position you're supposed to be in? You, you know it by getting to know God more, li- opening up your way of listening to God more. There's no way around this. If, if you're coming to church, that's a great first step. But if this is the only time that you're hearing any scripture read or that you're praying any prayers, I'm sorry, it's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough. So what does this mean? Well, technology is our friend in this area. It means we need to start reading some more scripture. You know what happens? It's not that we read it for knowledge so that we could memorize it. I mean, that's great. But we read it because every time we read the scripture, it does something inside of us. It opens us up to God. Or maybe you don't have a regular prayer time in your life. Maybe one day a week you want to just start, okay, I'm going to carve out 10 minutes and and I'm going to pray because I don't usually do that. Or or maybe I'm going to get involved. Maybe I'm going to help out and go on this Aslan hike. I'm going to serve. I want to do something where I can start practicing this and, and figure out how do I know if I'm in position or not. It's about connecting with God, living life with people of faith. That's how you find out if you're in position. Next question would be, are you ready when the ball comes? Maybe put it this way. When Jesus says you give him something to eat and hands you the loaves and fish, do you do this or do you turn around And give it to others. Are you ready when the ball comes? Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to pass along the miracle? This is the amazing part that God asks us to do. He entrusts us to pass that along. How many people in your life has God put in your life so that you will pass them the miracle? And how many of them are not getting it? Because you're unwilling to pass it. Man, I, I was thinking about that question this week for myself, and I'm just like, ouch. How many people are in my life that God's expecting me to do something with the ball or to, to, to receive what he's giving so I could give it to others? And how many times do I just, I don't know, not right now. Are you willing to pass the miracle? And then the last question is, do you need to develop your skills? You're ready to receive that ball. You're in position. You're ready to do it. But, you know, do you like swing in the miss? <laughs> Does it go right by? You need to develop those skills. Well, what am I talking about? Your serving skills. How did Jesus train the disciples for the day of Pentecost? By having them serve. Serving begets serving. You do it a little bit. It's like developing a muscle. And then it gets Bigger and stronger, and you do more and more. Get into a situation where you are serving somebody. Get involved in one of our mission, just a one-off mission opportunity. Go serve at lunch break. Go to the Pan Am Motel once and help out. Or maybe it's you need to just get into a circle of other Christians. Find a Bible study or a small group. We have all these small group opportunities. You don't have to sign up for the rest of your life. And like, I'm signing up for a small group until I'm dead. I'm with those people. And like, that's not, you don't have to do that. Do a four-week, five-week, six-week study. Because most of what you get, if people who do small groups know this. Most of what you get from small groups has nothing to do with the content. has everything to do with the relationships. 
The content's a vehicle for the relationships. Because here's the thing. God controls the miracle, but he wants to give it to you. He wants you to be ready for it.